Good morning. It is so wonderful to be here this morning. If you would be going ahead and taking your Bibles out to the book of Acts, we'll be starting there in just a moment. As you do so, I'd just like to say how how grateful I am to to be here with you. Uh, I want to say I'm very thankful for for Brother Joe for covering for me um, last week as as I was away. I want to say we just had an absolute excellent weekend uh, last weekend as we we spent time studying. Uh, and, and growing with with the kids at at the camp, um, and I was I was uh, excited to be in the the boys' cabin, uh, the boys ages seven to nine. It was uh, just so much fun to see see that group that 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 age group and these young young very young men that are are growing, um, and, and it's very evident that they're growing. It was fun to see them and the way that they interact with one another, and. Um, and really to see that, that they, they had a knowledge of God's Word, and they had an ability to learn. They, they, they were just like little sponges and were able to soak things up. Uh, the first night we were there, we talked about Daniel. We talked about uh, being away from, uh, from, from home and how Daniel was, was taken uh, into captivity and, and, and you know, just being, being in a scary situation and with, with people that, that are not like you. Um, and yet still being able to to serve and to follow God and, and how they had dealt with that and, you know going into uh, when they go into school and being with their friends and people that that come from different backgrounds than them and, and things are very different from what they're used to at home uh, and knowing they still need to choose to do what's right. We even talked a little bit about Rehoboam and about choosing wise advice. Um, but I tell you my, my favorite moment of the of the whole camp. <coughs> My favorite moment of the whole camp came during a nature walk slash scavenger hunt. We we had this game where they they we sent the kids we sent the kids into the into the woods right or in a, in, a, in an area, and we we asked them to to collect certain items. They they had a list of things that they were to collect, and they had a list of things that they were just to mark down that it's, that if they they saw them, they got a check mark on it. And they were collecting things such as rocks and pine cones and feathers and things you would expect to find in the woods. But there was this, this one group, and, and uh, they, they all had a, a good time. But this one group just really, I mean, they, they just failed at this, this game so spectacularly. They didn't find a whole lot of stuff. And it was because they spent all their time trying to catch a squirrel. They were they were laughing and, and running around and I heard them they were frustrated and 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 uh, and me and the uh, the guy leading the group uh, that we were just sat there and we were kind of laughing at them they, they were just having so much trouble with this and when their, their time ran up we called them all back in and I was going over with them why why they hadn't really found anything why their their bags were so empty. And they went on about how, well, you've asked us to do something that was just too hard. We couldn't catch a squirrel. And it was a young little seven-year-old girl who blurted out, we didn't have to catch it. We just had to mark that we saw it. And then, you know, we had an aha moment. The light came on. And I tell you, the problems we can get ourselves into, and we just don't pay enough attention to what's been written for us. That's why it's so important to spend time in God's Word. And that's why I encourage you to follow along in the Scriptures. Don't, don't just take my word for it. 
What does God's word say? <laughs> if we don't do that, we can waste a lot of time chasing squirrels instead of pleasing God. That's why this morning I want to spend a little bit of time in God's word. I want to look at a topic that we probably don't, don't give much thought to. Here in the book of Acts, we have recorded for us this obscure, uh, kind of strange account. And that's I, I want to be careful in my, my choice of words here because sometimes we, we kind of look at these like they're just stories. This isn't just a story. This is an account of something that actually happened. We need to know that. But this account is kind of tucked into the middle of Acts 19. And if you're like me, the first time you read this, maybe several times after that you've read this, you, uh, you just kind of thought to yourself, you know, that's, that's a little weird. That's a little strange. And you just kind of go on. But I want to spend some time, just a little bit of time here this morning, because not only is this a, a pretty cool occurrence, but it's, it's a little mysterious as well. You see, in the beginning of this chapter, Paul is up to his, his normal habits. This is kind of what Paul does. He's in Ephesus, and he goes to his synagogue, and he goes to a place uh, speaking boldly. And in his conversations, we see at the beginning of Acts 19 that he runs into some who have been baptized, but they've been baptized in, the name of, in John's baptism, not been baptized in the name of the Lord. You know, these are some pretty standard things that Paul runs into. You know, when we see Paul going somewhere, he goes to a city. He goes to a place where spiritually minded people are known to congregate, and Paul teaches them about Jesus. But what's going on here right after this? I want you to read with me, starting in verse 10, Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this and the evil spirit answered, and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, and many of those who practiced magic burnt their books together and began burning them <clears throat> burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. <coughs> so, what we got here? We got some pretty wild stuff going on. Uh, we got demon possessions. We've got these Jewish exorcists. We've got violence. There's even some nudity that's going on here. And on the surface, I want to tell you, on the surface, this account, this account has all the makings of a Hollywood movie. And if we just glance over this, if we don't really give this some thought, well, that's about all we'll get out of it as well. 
There's some really important lessons that we can learn in this, from this passage this morning. And that's what I want to do. I want to spend some time seeing what we can learn from a traveling exorcist. <coughs> and I want to begin with the fact that demon possessions, demon possessions were real. When we start getting into discussions about demons, and especially possessions, we typically start getting into kind of an eerie, uncomfortable realm of thought because, quite frankly, we just we don't know a lot about it. We have allowed Hollywood and we have allowed other writings to influence our thoughts of what demon possessions were or are. And some have even went as far as to say, those things never really existed. Some have tried to explain demon possessions away with arguments such as demon possessions are merely psychological disorders that at the time they had no other name for them. So they just attributed it to a (coughs) some sort of crazy demon, some sort of crazy evil spirit that is that has possessed this person. You know, there's there's two things that I, I really struggle with when I hear that a demon possession is merely just somebody suffering from something like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. There's, some, there's, there's two things that just really sorts to kind of bother me when I hear that. The first one is that's, just, that's not the way that they're described at all. They're not described in, in that way at all. <coughs> in Mark chapter 5 and in verse 1, Jesus, Jesus calls them unclean spirits. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says, They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And we skip on down to verse 8. After he, uh, actually, let's go to verse 7. The man shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he'd been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. (coughs) Another reference to this account is found in Luke chapter 8. Jesus called them unclean spirits. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, recorded them and called them evil spirits. In Acts 16, we even read of a girl. We read of a girl who had a spirit of divination. She could she could read kind of read the future. She was a fortune teller, if you will. Let me tell you, if if Jesus if Jesus couldn't see this for what it really was, if Jesus was so mystified by what was going on with these people and he couldn't see through to the fact that this was just a psychological disorder that they were going through, what really takes away from his claim then as being the Son of God, as being the creator of man? If the creator couldn't tell what was going on with his creation, well, it really makes you wonder if he was the creator at all. No, Jesus knew what was going on. He knew that evil spirits had possessed these, these bodies, these people, 
and we're controlling them. <clears throat> That's one of the first problems that I hear when I think of when I think when I hear someone say, "Well, it was probably just just a psychological disorder that they they weren't smart enough to know about at the time." You know, they they everything else that goes on at that time, they they got all these different types of gods and things going on and and they just there's that's what that was. It was just a, a psychological disorder. No, no, I don't believe it does because it was because of this, and also because of the fact that they just do not manifest themselves as a psychological problem. In Act sixteen, the girl who could tell fortunes, she was so good at this that her masters had kind of coined a business strategy off of it. They were turning a profit off of her so much so. That whenever, whenever Paul came and cast that demon out of her, they drag him off, beat him and Silas, and throw him in jail. They throw him in jail. They they are very upset, very upset that, that they had done this, that they had they had taken away this source of their profit. So she apparently was very successful at what she was doing, reading the futures and telling people their fortunes. And in Luke 8, as in Mark 5, that, that account of the man with the unclean spirits that Jesus casts out, that man, as it read in those passages, says he was bound with chains and shackles, and yet he would break his bonds. We're talking about a, a very strong, strong person. We're talking about superhuman strength to be able to break chains and, and, and shackles. Even here in Acts 19, this demon-possessed man, whenever these sons of Siva came and tried to cast the demon out, he was recorded as saying, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? This man had heard of Paul. That's not really too far or a stretch of the imagination. Paul did a lot of traveling in these areas. Maybe it's possible that that name, <coughs> that that name had, had come to him. But look at the way he talked about Jesus. He didn't just say, I've heard of the name of Jesus. He said, I recognize Jesus. Other translations put it, I know Jesus. Jesus, who, not at least not that we have any record of, ever made a trip so far north, was more than just a name that he had heard of. Now, why on earth would a man know Jesus? <coughs> How would he have known Jesus? Unless it was not the man himself talking, but the demon that was within him talking um, and making these claims. These accounts go so far beyond the ability of merely one who is suffering from some disorder. But you know, that, that might actually lend itself to the uncertainty, <coughs> to the uncertainty and the fear of these accounts. Because if these accounts are real, if these are things that really happened, well, could they... Could they still happen today? That is the fear that Hollywood loves to play off of. 
And that, that is the fear that this time of the year we have Halloween coming up and, and everybody wants to dress up and, and, and be the scariest thing they can possibly be. And that idea of a demon possession is, is really, they, they, love to, they love to try and use that to, to scare us or to, to play upon people's fears in that. To have this sort of unholy inhabitation of something which causes us to act in ways totally against God's, God's will. To do things such as curse and to commit lewd acts or even murder. And we ask ourselves, if this was real, could this still happen today? <coughs> could I be controlled in this sort of way today? And the answer to that question is, yeah. Yeah, you can. Now, before you go, before you get up with your pitchforks and your torches and you're going to lynch me and run me out of here, or before maybe you even go looking for garlic or whatever it is that Hollywood has said is going to ward off demons, let me tell you, we got a few things that we need to understand about that statement. Got a few things we need to understand about that about possessions. You see, it's very obvious here that the supernatural ability to cast out demons wasn't something that just everyone had in their repertoire. Not everybody could pull that out of their back pocket. This ability to cast out a demon was a, was a spiritual gift. Now, as with the end of all spiritual gifts, such as talking in tongues and prophesying and healing, this ability has come to an end. This ability is now useless. Why? Because Satan's ability to possess and to control someone in such a way no longer occurs. But that does not mean... That does not mean that we don't still need deliverance from some sort of lesser spirit today. Because we certainly can be controlled. We certainly can be controlled by spirits such as spirit of, of worry. Spirit of worry where we're just so worried about something and about what might happen that it causes us just to, to do nothing. So busy wringing our hands that we can't begin to even think about pulling our sleeves up and getting to work. Or a spirit of fear goes along with that idea of worry. Fear, fear of what might happen. What about a spirit of anger? How many times have you heard of someone who committed, committed something in, in, in a, uh, a fit of rage? An uncontrollable outburst of anger in which they did something that they would have never considered doing under a, a normal circumstance. They were completely under the control of their anger or even greed. I want something. I want it so bad. I don't care what it's going to take for me to get it. Being controlled by that. Let me tell you, these things are not, <coughs> they are not from above. This is not spirit. This is not the spirit of God. This is nothing less than allowing ourselves to be controlled by Satan. These things can cause us to walk in ways that are certainly against God's will and cause us to do things that are not pleasing to God. Terrible things. But deliverance from such spirits today does not occur by having a demon cast out of us. 
It occurs by being filled with something else. Filling ourselves with God's Word. You know, Joe talked last Sunday afternoon about how the Word became flesh and how Jesus was the Word. <coughs> when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are filled with the characteristics of Jesus. We are filled with the with the Spirit of God. We are filled with the characteristics of Jesus. We are filled with love and with kindness and with humility and gentleness and hope and the blood of Christ. And the Spirit, through God's Word, can cleanse us, can, can remove these spirits from us, a spirit of, of, of worry or fear like we've talked about. They can take these things away but it can also guard us, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Look over in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But this will only happen if we are truly living for Christ. As we notice, verses 4 through 6 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We have to, to have this peace. We have to be rejoicing. And we have to be gentle. And we must not be driven by anxiety. We must be driven by thanksgiving. Through prayer. It is then, it is then when we are modeling and following after Christ that we can expect to receive this peace which, which goes beyond comprehension. And I want to tell you, that's where the second lesson comes from. The second lesson that I want to point out from Acts 19 is that it's not simply enough to tie yourself or identify yourself with the name of Christ. By asking the question, are we misappropriating the name of Christ? What's in a name? For many, that's all they really look for. Think about it for a minute in the idea of, <coughs> the idea of shopping for a car. It doesn't matter what the safety record is. It doesn't matter what kind of mileage it gets. For some people, all they're looking for is the right emblem on the front grill. For Chevy fans, they're looking for the bow tie. For Ford fans, they want that blue oval. And Toyota fans, well, Toyota fans are looking for that odd bull-like shape that you see on the front of Toyotas. But you get the picture, right? The name is, is what makes it in the mind. This election season... A lot of people will vote for a candidate simply because they bear the name Republican or Democrat. When buying certain items, and that list of items seems to sometimes dwindle day by day, but when buying items, a lot of times people won't purchase it unless it has the words made in the USA stamped on it somewhere. Some people won't even buy a bottle of ketchup unless it has Heinz printed on the outside of the bottle. And I want to tell you, this mentality can be seen 
within the church as well. <coughs> I'm a Christian because I'm, well, I call myself a Christian. I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Sometimes even I'm a Christian because I'm a member of the church of Christ. One of the lessons we learn from these sons of Siva is that one can use the right terminology and one can believe but be far from where they need to be. So let's spend a little bit of time looking at these traveling exorcists that we read about here, starting in verse 13. Let's read about that again. But it's also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, attempting to name over those who had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. <coughs> The new or the King James version, the King James version calls these these traveling exorcists, these Jewish exorcists, vagabonds. New American Standard said they were Jewish exorcists who went from place to place. I believe the NLT says they traveled from town to town, and the ESV just calls them itinerant, <coughs> itinerant Jews, the people that didn't have a home. They traveled from place to place, and they did so making a profit. And the historian Josephus, he recorded how such men would do so. Now they would go from town to town, reading fortunes and casting out demons, and there was so much um, show that went along with this. And they claimed that the power they had was through the incantations taught to them by Solomon, which he had received from the wisdom that he got from God. And you know, when, when, when Josephus records about these, these exorcisms, these casting out of demons, they, they become, their actions become very markedly different from what we read about in the Scripture. Uh, when we read of someone just commanding a spirit to come out, they, they had incantations and they had symbols and, and, and marks on rings that they would put into different places of the body and one of the, the common ones was to, to place it on the nostrils of the nose. And, and they would set up a cup of water because they had to prove to you that, that the demon had really exited the body. And so they would set up a cup of water and they would command the demon to come out of the body and, and then they would uh, command it and you know, adjure you in the name of Jesus. They would command it not to go back into the body so as they, that they didn't have to come and repeat this exercise. And on the way out, they would command the demon to knock over the cup of water so everybody around could see that they had accomplished this. There's a couple things I want to note about these men, especially these sons of Siva. They, they'd come from a family of priests, their father being a, a chief priest. One might have expected them to, <coughs> to follow in their, their father's footsteps. One might have expected them to take up the work of the family. But now they were really they were really nothing more than gypsies. They were just a sideshow going from town to town. And do you know another name for vagabond? If you look that word up and you look for synonyms for vagabond, you know what you find? You find the word prodigal. These men were were really like prodigal sons. They had they had left. They had left their family. They had left what they known. And they were out wandering in this life. 
I'm telling you, we must not, we must not, like these men, turn to wandering. As 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 tells us, we are, we are set apart. We are a royal priesthood. And we are set apart to follow Jesus. So let me ask you, how shameful it must have been for these men to not follow after the work of their family. But how much more shameful for us who, who were not family, had no right to be family, and yet, through the blood of His Son, God has made us like sons of His. We have been made priests in the most holy and magnificent kingdom ever. And Christ has literally set a path for us to follow. How shameful it would be to wander away from that. Another thing I want to notice is that these men, these sons of Siva, they were very likely fakes. Now, I don't want to say that every single man was a fake that cast out demons because it seems like that was the thing that happened in those days. We already pointed out demon possessions were real and so therefore casting them out was certainly real. <coughs> and what these men were attempting to do didn't fail because it was not possible. In fact, back, back over in Matthew chapter 12, um, Jesus is, is addressing the Pharisees here and they they have told him that he, he casts out demons in the name of Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And in response to that, Jesus asks them, in verse 27, he says, If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he asked them, Who do your sons cast out demons in the name of? And even in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 and verse 49, we read of one who, who wasn't, wasn't, following, wasn't following the disciples. And, and John says to him here in Luke 9, 49, he says to Jesus, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. It seems as if this was a very real thing for people to be able to do, to cast out these demons. But it obviously did not work for these sons of Siva. It seems as if maybe because of the great miracles that God had performed at the hand of Paul, that these men may have saw that and they might have thought, I want to be a part of that too. You know, that's something that I already, already claim to be able to do as... <coughs> As a Jewish exorcist, I want to be able to, to get in on this sort of performance. Let me ask you, if, if, if they had truly been successful before, they truly were exorcists and had been going around casting out demons, well, lends me to ask the question, if, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Why did they feel they needed to change from what they had done Previously, unless that what they had what they claimed to do they had never really done before, or what they had done was deceptive in nature. Let me ask you, are you fake? Simon the sorcerer was fake. 
But he had many people fooled. Many people believed that he was a, a, a great person. He was powerful. But God wasn't fooled. In our, in our account here, this demon wasn't fooled. Satan won't be fooled. Maybe, maybe you look outwardly to many what a Christian should be, but are you just fooling? Maybe you're trying to fool your parents. Maybe you're trying to fool your friends. Maybe you're fooling yourself. Let me tell you, God is not looking for fakes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Many will say in that day, Did we not prophesy in your name, Jesus? <coughs> Did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? But Christ's answer will be, Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, don't be fake. Instead, devote yourself fully to God's Word and to knowing what it means to truly be Christ-like. To truly be a Christian. In James chapter 1, and verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's fake. 1 John 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Or 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 2, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. God is not looking for those who would misappropriate, misidentify with Christ. <coughs> he is looking for true followers. And that brings up the last point that I want to make. I want you to see again the effect that this account had on the people of Ephesus. Look in verse 17 with me. It says, This became known to all both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. How did this happen? How is this even possible? I mean, the guys that attempted this, this exorcism, they failed in spectacular fashion. They called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and then not only did they get beaten up, but they got humiliated, had to flee naked from the house. How could that possibly have had such an effect on these people who were practitioners of magic? I believe the answer to that question is Paul. Paul was successful because Paul was teaching truth. Never underestimate. Never 
underestimate the power of a true example of Christianity. Here you had people who believed in magic, people who practiced magic, and you had one who came and was teaching that it was not magic, it was not incantations, it was not enchantments, it was God, the one true God who could save them, who could heal them. It was this God who loved them and wanted them to stop living as they were and start living for him. Let me tell you something. If all we ever give people is a fake name, if we don't truly follow, don't practice what we preach, well, that's a shame. Because when people see the love of Christ, when people observe you living for God, it has an effect. Sometimes that effect is turning to Christ. And yes, sometimes that effect is running the other way. But of this I am convinced you cannot see the power of Christ and not be affected. Even if it is seen in someone else, I am convinced of that. We just have to decide. Are we content to trick everyone into thinking we are followers of Christ? Or are we going to commit to truly following in His footsteps? This morning, if you desire to do that, then what better time than the present to get started? If you have not submitted your life to Christ, if you have not believed that He is the Son of God and confessed as much, if you have not, <coughs> if you have not repented of a wayward life and begun and being baptized into His death for the remission of your sins, I ask you, what's stopping you? What's controlling you? Is it fear? Is it worry? There is water here. And more importantly than that, there is God here who eagerly anticipates your decision to follow Him. I guess the question is, will you keep Him waiting? Maybe you've already decided that to do that this morning. <coughs> And you are one who, who he is here and, and has a life that over time has really become more of an empty shell. Instead of growing in Christ, you have devolved. You are not following Christ as you once did. You are not following Christ as you know you should. Again, I say don't wait. We aren't guaranteed a tomorrow. Whatever your need may be, I hope you will let it be known. Please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.